praise the Lord. Now with that, uh, some of you are already noticing some of my things I have here, and I'll explain that to you a little later. But, but I want to talk to you this morning uh, about a parable uh, that the Lord uh, was talking about in the Bible. The Lord talked about parables when he talked to us, and this is one that has to do with wheat. There's several that he's talked about in wheat, but I want to read you this one this morning. Matthew uh, 13 and 24 through 30, I believe it is, and it says, uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No. At least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let us let both grow together, he says, until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in the bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went to the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us this parable of the tares in the field. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as a good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire... So shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place where there will be, says, weeping and gashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth, he says, as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then he says this at the end of that. He said, he who has ears, somebody reach up and touch your ear, let him hear. Now that may surprise you, but that's not the ear that he was talking about. Because if you look in Revelations, it says some things about he that has ears, and, and he brings out he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. So God gives us ears when he speaks to us what the Spirit saith. And you don't hear with your outer ear that. You hear with your inner ear as God speaks to us. And if God doesn't call you and I, we can't come to him because it takes the Spirit to draw us to him. And so as I read this, I, and, and what prompted me to read this uh, a particular thing, one of the things I think was I've been reading a book uh, uh, for a while now, off and on, and it's called uh, Scouting the Vine by Margaret Feinberg. Or Feinberg. And uh, uh, I ran across something in it that really touched my heart because, see, 
I had a different concept of the terror slightly than what I've gotten after I've read that because when every time I've read this before, I got to thinking, well, this is, this is people that don't know the Lord. This is people that, have, you know, that's just unsaved people. But when you really begin to read this parable and begin to, to sit down and think about it, uh, all of the seed that had been planted, God had touched them. He said the Son of Man was a sower. So all the seed had been touched. Now, when I read this and, and, and I read the book, I had to come back and read this again. I have some things it said. And, uh, this lady, as she wrote this book, she had a, uh, this drive to find out what people in the natural that farm today, how they, how they looked at certain scriptures and what it meant to them. So she goes to this farmer and, and she talks to him and she interviews him. When she's interviewing him, uh, she opens her book to Matthew 13 about the tares and the wheat planted in the field and she read it to him. And she, as she read to him, then she asked the farmer, what does this mean to you? And I want you to get a hold of what he says. He said, I interpret the tares as wheat. As wheat. Let that soak in just a moment. He said, I, I interpret it as wheat that doesn't have any seed. Now, when we plant seed, we expect to harvest. Matter of fact, one place in the Bible, God said that if a grain of corn don't fall into the ground and die, it won't produce anything. So it has to die out, and from it comes up a whole brand new thing, and it stalk and puts on corn. And so there were good seeds planted in the field. So he had touched all the good seed. And when he says he interprets it as tares, as wheat. Now this is a man that raises wheat by the acres for a living. If anybody knows about wheat, he ought to know about it. And I read in one uh, writing of the Bible, I believe it was NIV when I was doing my study on this, that they said they translated tares to weeds. And I thought, no, uh, that's, that, that doesn't sound right to me because a weed doesn't look like a wheat. It looks different. And then I got to, as I got to meditate and study and, and look into some things, I found out it's possible that uh, a farmer might call anything that he's growing for food that that's not has any food value to it, he might call it a weed. But I wanted to use what he, he said. I mean, after all, he is the he is the professional in growing wheat. I'm not. And so he says, he, let me go on. He said, I interpret it as a tear, as wheat that doesn't have any seed. I want you to hold on to that. If you're just walking through the field, he says, and looking at the wheat, then you can take for granted that all of it is good. Well, I can look out here at all of you, and you can say, Brother Ben, I can say, are you saved? You say, yes. Yeah. You say, am I? I say, are you saved? You say, yes, and yes, and yes. And everybody says, yes, in the house. Well, I can't look at you and tell the difference. But there's going to be a time that we'll be able to tell the difference. And so he said, you can't, if you're just walking through the field and looking at the wheat, you can't you can take it for granted that all of it is good. But he says, if you pluck a shaft of wheat and roll it in your fingers, you'll find some shafts have good seed while others have nothing at all. 
they're empty husk. Now, I have some wheat here. And the shaft he's talking about is the part that the wheat grows on up here. And inside each one of these things, there's supposed to be grain inside that. And inside this, these are the same. Now, I wasn't just satisfied with what I was reading and hearing from him. So I made a trip this weekend. Matter of fact, I made a trip last week. And I went to a grain field. And I looked out upon the field, and it all looked ready to harvest. It looked like it was just beautiful to my eyes. But I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not a farmer. I don't know. So, so I had to go and, and come back and do some more research. And I went back out again and after reading this. And, and I got to the age of the rose, and I sat there, and I looked at it. And, and I kept looking for one without any grain looked like upon top of it. Now, last week I found one that, that came up. It, it was fat inside, like it, uh, like it really had something there. But, and I mashed it, and I opened it up, and they was, sure enough, there was a, a, a shaft there, but there was, it was soft and nothing in it. So I thought, no, that doesn't look right, because when the grain comes to a place to where that it, it's put on grain, it's got to look alike. And if it don't have the, the grain on top, then, then it doesn't look alike. And so I went back to the field this week and to another field, and I began to look, and, and I began to examine, because I read it. when I read it again, I looked down, and he says, here's what he says, but if you pluck a shaft of wheat and roll it in your fingers, you'll find that some shafts have good seed while others have Nothing at all, only empty husk. This is a husk outside, and it looks like it's got something in it. But unless you roll it, unless you put it under pressure, unless you beat it, uh, uh, you know, you'll never know if it's wheat. But when you put it in your hand and you begin to put it under pressure, and, and, and by the way, Christians, God lets that happen to us to find out what we have. That's what the storms of life are about when they come by. It's not that God forgot about you, but God just wants, to, wants you to see what you're, what you're made out of. He already knows, but he wants you to see. See, because under pressure of the life that we live and the things around us and even some of the people that we deal with, it brings out whether we're real or whether we're not. I've been around people that I thought was so spiritual but yet they stomp their toe or somebody get in their face and you say, oh, my, did that come out of them? Sweet and bitter water don't flow from the same fountain. We need to be real about who we are. And if we say that we're saved, we need to act saved. And so I, I went on a little further uh, when they began to look at that because he said, others have nothing at all. They're empty, just empty husks. Other words, on the outside, they look good. They look just like you sitting here. They dressed for church this morning. But on the inside, they may have nothing that you've got. See, it's easy to talk, but it's not easy to walk the walk. So we need to, we need to, to watch out who we are and begin to watch our life because we are the ones that watches our life. It's not me to judge it's me to show you what the Scripture is saying to me. And I know that people are like the wheat. He even makes mention that. Just to look upon and gaze upon the field, it all looks like it's full. Every one of them looks like they're full. But I promise you, there's two in that group that I've mashed three or four of those little husks and got nothing but air out of it on the bottom. Now, the man goes on to say he, 
He said, you can't tell in the field, but it always shows up in the grain tank. In other words, when he sends the harvester in to harvest the field, and it begins to pull those uh, uh, little tops off there that's got all the wheat in it off that shaft and begins to uh, uh, do what it does in the machine. When it comes out, the grain comes out and goes into the tank, uh, you'll tell whether you've got as much as you thought you had or not because the, uh, they predict the acre should put on so much, and, and if it don't, then it didn't do as good as it should have. Uh, that, that makes sense, don't it? Yeah. Uh, you can't tell wheat from tares by just looking at it, he said. You have to grab it, and you have to crush it, and you have to squeeze it to find if it's real or not. There are some people in this church here that's been grabbed and squeezed and crushed a few times in their life. And they've felt the pain of being crushed, but they come through all right. They came through all right. Praise the Lord. But when you find people that just coming to church is not going to make you saved, just hanging out with saved people don't make you saved, it takes a personal walk with Jesus Christ. A casual relationship won't do it. The tares have a relationship standing side by side with the wheat in the field that has a, a shaft on it with real wheat, but that doesn't make them have wheat. It's up to the individual. Let me go a little further. The man, the man goes on. He says, I think that's true of spiritual life. When it comes to the pressure of life and getting crushed, that's when the fruit really shows or not. He said, even in Christian's life, this is the farmer. But in the, in the Galatians 5 and 22 says to us, said, but when the Holy Spirit controls our life, don't you get that? That's the living Bible. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, he said, praise the Lord, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Now, I, I keep telling people, I don't believe there's no room for, for fits of carnality. I don't believe there's any room by the Scripture to hold grudges. I don't believe there's any room to stay angry in the Scriptures and claim that you're a Christian. I believe we need to get on past it and forgive people and forget it and go on and love people like Jesus did. Jesus looked at and he says, uh, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what to do. The very ones who was putting him on the cross. And sometimes God's people get so hung up on such pity little things. But, but he says, when the, this, the scripture says, rather, when, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, there's two ways you can serve God, my way or the Holy Spirit's way, because God gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us. And we'll either let him lead us and guide us and direct us, and if we let him lead us and guide us and direct us, guess what? You have no choice but to put on fruit. And so... So when he controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit. Now, what kind of fruit? Certainly not holding grudges, and certainly not being angry, certainly not being more a friend of the world than we are God, certainly not uh, uh, being at a place, well, I guess I got to go to church this morning. God wants us to be excited about it. You know, uh, it, it's a great thing to get to be able to get out of the house and come to God's house. That's just one of the things. But, but it says this kind of fruit. This kind of fruitness, love and joy and peace. There's nine of those uh, 
fruits, but I want to deal with the first one right now because, see, a lot of people want to say that, that I'm saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, and they really don't really love God. Brother Ben, how can you say that? Well, I can say this because if you really love someone, you want to be around them or their people. You want to be in the mix as much as you can. You don't, work, you don't want to hang out until the last minute to be around them. And so uh, that says a lot for people that don't want to come to church. I met someone a while back, and they said, hey, uh, I believe in God. I love the Lord, but, but I just don't think you need to go to church. And they said it with a vindictive attitude. Attitude has a lot to do with how we are and who we are and the way people perceive us. But when you think about the, the, the first three fruits of the Spirit, the first one has to do basically first above everything else is falling in love with Jesus. How can you love me if you don't love the Lord? So you've got to love the Lord. So you've got to love the things of God. Those are some of the things that separates us from being a tare and a wheat. If he puts it like that, see, because there ought to be some fruit in our life, not just empty husks or empty words, some fruit in our life. And he says, joy. You show me somebody that's never happy, not got any joy, and I'll show you somebody that really don't love the Lord like they claim to do. See, because your world can be going upside down around you. Uh, every day you can wake up and seem like it's a cloud over you. But if you got the real joy of the Lord in your life, it won't make any difference. You'll still go through life being happy. There's people that living on the shade trees and, and living on the riverbank are happier than some of the Christians I have met. I've met Christians, all they want to do is just complain. And talk about somebody else. Have somebody else for lunch. But that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, and joy. Or joy and peace. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's how that people ought to see us in, in our walk with the Lord, in our fellowship with the Lord. If they can't see us in that way toward the Lord, how can we ever expect them to see us and love us and have joy for us being around? Because we first got to be faithful to ourselves of who we are. And we, we really, if we really true to ourselves of who we are, that do we really love the Lord or not, and if we find out we don't, then we ought to go back to an altar someplace and really pray through and ask God to forgive us for our religious attitudes and, and begin to sell out to God all the way. Because he's more than enough. Fall in love with Jesus. How many of you ever remember going out with your husband or your wife before you ever got married? You want to be with them all the time. You didn't sit there and say, oh, I hope they don't come today. Oh, my goodness, it's such a blessing they come in late. You know, we, we want people to, we, we want to be real about this. But some, you know, it's humorous, but you can take and lay it on a line. You know, you can look at your life spiritual according to how you would look at things natural if you do that. But people that really have fallen in love with the Lord, they're excited about Sunday morning coming. They can't hardly wait for Sunday to get there. It's kind of like when I first met my wife and we'd make a date we was going to go out. Man, I'd look at the counter and I couldn't wait in a day that was going out. I wanted to be ready and wet, sitting there waiting 30 minutes before time to go. I wanted to be there and wait on her. I mean, it wasn't going to be a boring thing. It was an exciting thing to go and pick her up and go do whatever we did, movie or whatever it was. 
And it ought to be exciting for God's people that claim to be God's people to wake up on Sunday morning or go to bed Saturday night already thinking about Sunday morning. And we do sometimes. We say, oh, my God, tomorrow's Sunday. Oh, goodness. And then my Sunday morning wakes up. God, I didn't get my sleep last night. Uh, where'd it go? You know, and of course, we didn't turn the TV off till late. Well, that's all right. Nothing wrong with the TV. But when you fall in love with the Lord, you want to be there because he's going to be there. And I know he's already with you wherever you are. But he tells us, not, forget not to assemble ourselves together, didn't he? as some people are happy to do. So we come to God's house to worship him with other people. It ought to be exciting. You know, the one I had problem with when I read in the Bible one time, said all things work together for good them love the Lord. Man, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see that. That was hard, but I realized that, you know, that, that it's that way. And there's going to be some things that, that's going to be uh, some storms in our lives. There are going to be some things that kind of uh, knocks us around a little bit. But, you know, that's the beating and the crushing so as we can see uh, if we've got any fruit in our stuff, where people around us can see who we really are. But if you really got the goods, you'll stand up in the storm. You'll stand up in the storm. The love and the joy and the peace in your life will show forth to people around you. But when you begin to not be the person that doesn't have the fruit, not let it go forward. Then all they're going to see is a bunch of talk. Going to look like it until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, then we're going to fall apart. And as the wind blows through it, the husks fall out and are blown away. We don't want to think that today, though. We live in a world today when people want to think, hey, I come to church. And my business schedule, I took out and I come to church time to, to go to an altar. Now that I got the, through the altar part, I can go back and I can come when I want to. I can live like I want to. I, I can go on and through life and this, that, and the other, and I'm going to make it to heaven. But I want you to notice something that is not quite like that. You see, because he goes back up in somewhere I read here. He said, first together the tares and bind them in bottles to burn them. But gather the wheat in my barn. See, that, that whole parable there is kind of showing us in a way that God expects us to put on fruit. God expects us to be a changed person. God expects us to be a light that people can see. Another place the scripture talked about said, you're the salt of the earth. And it says the salt loses Savior. What good is it? If we have no fruit in our life to show people that there's been a change in our life, what good does it do us to let people see us and call ourselves a Christian? It really doesn't. I wanted to share that with you. I don't know where the time went, but I've got run out of time. I'll stop here, and I may pick up there next week and follow on through where I want to go. So this may turn into uh, one or maybe a three series before I get through with it. Uh, will the praise and worship team come on back up here? we got a foundation laid for what we want to do today. But if you get a chance this week, I want you to, I want you to get your book, Galatians 5 and 22. And I want you to spend some time in Galatians 5 and 22 because I, I want us to see that if, you're, if we're spirit-filled before the soul with, I want you to see that Galatians 5 and 22 and 23 is going to play a big part in your life of who you are. 
Will you do that? Stand with us, all of us, please. Will you?